That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is Totally 80s. The podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host... Lindsay Parker. Hey, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment, and welcome to another episode of Totally 80s. This one is definitely for the podcast Hall of Fame. We love hearing from you, so why not take a second to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at totally80s.com. So I think I kind of gave away what today is going to be about, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just inducted really its most 80s class ever. And it's about fucking time as a a certain guest is going to probably agree with what I announce here just a moment. Basically, finally, the decade that a lot of rock snobs and gatekeepers really unfairly maligned for years is finally getting to do in the hall. I think John Sykes coming in from MTV as the new chairman of the hall has something to do with that. And the class of 2022 featured Pat Benatar, Eurythmics, Duran Duran. We all know how I feel about that. There's a whole Duran Duran episode of Totally 80s podcast that you can listen to. Lana Ritchie, who of course was a huge solo 80s artist, Judas Priest, and even Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. So with that out of the way, I feel the floodgates are open. So now it's time to look ahead and submit Totally 80s own nominees for the class of 2023. And to help me with this, I have assembled an expert voting committee with two actual recent inductees and members of bands that quite literally defined the 80s for me and had a huge effect on my life. So I'm going to start with the earlier nominee. That's just how I'm going to do it. So first, we have a founding member of The Cure who were inducted in 2019 alongside Janet Jackson and Def Leppard and Stevie Nicks, the author of the memoir Cured, A Tale of Two Imaginary Boys, and the host of his own podcast, Curious Creatures. Welcome, Lowell Tolhurst of The Cure. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm raring to go with this. Yeah. I am raring to go too, but I have another very special guest. So also joining us is someone who got in just last year, 2021. And as it says on the t-shirts that I believe you could buy in the hall gift shop, it's about effing time. It is the drummer of the Go-Go's, author and photographer of the coffee table book made in Hollywood. I'll access with the Go-Go's, Ms. Gina Shock. Hi, guys. Hi, Gina. Happy to be here. So happy to have both of you. First of all, congratulations to you both because it is about effing time. It took the Cure three nominations to get in. It took only one nomination for the Go-Go's to get in, but it took 40 years for that nomination to even happen. So well-deserved, long overdue. The fans were stoked. I was actually there the night that the Cure were inducted. It was a magical evening. So Again, congratulations. I can't wait to find out your nominees for the class of 2023 because you both vote now. You're both members of the voting committee. We have the power. Yeah. (laughs) But before we do that, do you guys want to share any quick memories of what it was like on the nights that you guys got inducted? Gina, I'll let you go first because that was just a little over a year ago. Yeah. The whole evening was surreal. I, I have to say that's the word that really defines it for me because I thought I was in another body experiencing something like above watching below and like, oh my God. 
you know, I'm a kid from a working class neighborhood in Baltimore. And this is once again, something that would only be a dream, you know, as a teenager. And it was actually happening. I met so many people that evening that I was knocked out, hanging out with Paul McCartney, knocked me out. And to be actually inducted is, you know, at first we were like, oh, we don't give a shit anymore. We don't even care. We're over it. We're never going to get, we're never going to get nominated much less. Then when it happened, it was like, oh my God, this really does feel magical. So that being said, I'll, I'll pass it on and speak next. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in your perspective, Lowell, because it's my understanding, actually from conversations we've had in the past, that maybe the British bands don't care about the hall as much and you were at first not really it didn't really bother you that you had been passed over twice before but then when you got in you change your tune a bit yeah actually that's kind of true it's not true for me because i i've lived in america for a quarter of a century so i understand exactly what it means you know no the problem that i had was persuading the rest of the cure when when we were notified that it was a good idea to do this and i told them all as i said to robert and said well, you know look all the kids that live in you know small town usa that love the cure i said they will love this because it will be validation for them and they were like well we're not sure it's maybe it's a bit like the brits which is a horrible show and i said no trust me and when Trent Reznor, because he inducted us, when Trent got up on stage, the first thing he said was, I grew up in small town USA in Mercer, Pennsylvania, and listening to The Cure coming over the radio kind of connected me and set me free. And I, I just looked at Robert and went, yeah, that's it. That's exactly <laughs> what I mean. You know, that's uh-huh. what. So for me, it was a much bigger thing. The most surreal experience, though, of the whole evening there at the Barclay Card Centre in Brooklyn was... After the show, you know, we kind of escaped out the front and they they told us, because they, they always have all these ladies with, you know, headphones and clipboards chauffeuring you around all night, right? And we got out the front and they said, okay, wait here. We have a car that's coming to pick you up because all the fans are stuck out in the street behind barricades and stuff with the police. And me and Michael Dempsey, you know, first bass player, we got, we were standing outside talking and two of New York's finest came up to us. And these were like the, the heavy duty SWAT team guys, you know, with machine guns and shit. And they turned and looked at me and Michael, they went, the cure, we love the cure. Can we take a picture? And I th- that was the most surreal thing ever, because I remember coming to New York like 1980 and there's a famous picture of us walking down Columbus or something and the police giving us this very wary eye, you know, <laughs> amazing how many things have changed in that time. So that was that was very cool. Well, it's amazing how finally the hall has changed because for a long time, I remember there was this article actually in Billboard where an anonymous person was talking about how a lot of 80s bands hadn't gotten, especially new wave bands, bands, British bands in particular, hadn't gotten into the hall. And this person told Billboard that a lot of the older guard voters and people on the committee saw them as, quote unquote, mascara bands like didn't yeah. take them seriously of course the cure got in you probably wore mascara back in the day depeche oh. mode got in we know martin gore likes a oh, good yeah. mascara oh, yeah. so things are changing and of course you know the go-go's were such an important band and i'm still a little mad that it took so long for it to happen but everything's fine now now we got to pay it forward you guys are voters you can you know yeah. talk about the people you want so there's still a lot of 80s bands mascara or not that haven't yeah. gotten in. Lindsay, one thing I want to say is that, you know what? 
well, you brought up, you know, John Sykes being in charge. And I think that had a huge, that made the, the biggest difference. Why don't you explain who he is and why that is? Well, I don't know. I just remember John hanging out with John in the 80s lot and actually hanging out with Jan Warner in his offices, in, Rolling, in the Rolling Stone offices, smoking joints with him. And so I always wondered what the deal was. What's the problem? Is this just still going to be the boys club forever or what? John mm. got in, boom, it changed. I just, when I think of John, I don't think of what his title is. I think of, I think, friend. He and I, he took me to the Super Bowl one year. He's just a good guy. I have such great respect for him. And I've watched him over the years, as he's probably watched everybody that was happening during that time period sort of evolve and grow into where they were and where they are now. And happy that you right. know, we're still around. So I'm a huge fan of John's. And uh, as, and as it was about effing time that we got in there. And same thing with The Cure, man. I could talk all day about The Cure. Well, there's a whole Cure podcast, by the way, on Totally 80. So I have done that. I have talked all day about the Cure. But to, to look ahead, I do think, like I said, John Sykes, for people who he was on the ground floor of MTV in MTV. 1981. Yeah. So yeah. obviously his career paralleled the Go-Go's because your first album came out in 81 and MTV came out in 81. And then 40 years later, 2021, you got in. As you mentioned, it was kind of helping crack open that boys club that, you know, it's changing. We had Pat Benatar and Eurythmics get in this year, but, you know, it's changing slowly. So, Gina, I'm going to let you nominate the first candidate for the class of 2023. I'm dying to hear what everybody has to say. I got a list myself, but I'm going to let you go first. I don't know. I I want the B-52s. Mm-hmm. What? On my list. What is going on? I mean... They were so influential in my life. I mean, I remember in like, I guess, oh God, well, it must have been 78 in my bedroom, you know, where I had my drum set up and my stereo, everything, listening to Rock Lobster, listening to their first record, whatever. They knocked me out. And to think that like only a couple of years later, I'd be hanging out with them and we'd become friends. It was another dream come true thing. Their music was so big and it's still so big, so important. That first single like changed a lot. It was like hearing Billy for the first time. You know, it was like, what the hell is this? Wow, this is fucking amazing. And they were so trailblazing in various ways. One, obviously putting Athens on the map well before R.E.M. even, who are in the Hall of Fame, came around. Obviously, the fact that they are queer icons is very important. I think this would be a really good time for them to get in because, you know, they're on their farewell tour. They're retiring. So this would be timely. And then also, if people want to listen to a recent Totally 80s episode called Comebacks, which we did with Michael DeBar, where we talked about big comebacks of the 80s, they have one of the greatest comeback stories of all time, that they had some of their greatest success after coming out of the tragedy of a key member dying of AIDS and them maybe almost quitting. And then they became one of the biggest bands in the world, late 80s, early 90s. And there's so many reasons to rally around the B-52s. I wholeheartedly endorse this nomination, Gina. Oh, my God, it is way overdue for those folks. And I will be extremely happy if that happens. It needs to happen, actually. It just it needs to happen, period. I feel it would. I'm actually surprised. I don't believe they've ever even been nominated. Maybe uh, at least hopefully the fact that they're on the radar with this farewell tour, at least get them a nomination. Oh, and then maybe, you know, they can get in the first time the way the Go-Go's did. But Lowell, you are a green, so I don't know if you have any B-52's thoughts. I'm also curious for what your next nominee would be. No, no. I mean, you know, the B-52's, I mean, I think the whole attitude that they expressed was really like a bridge for, say, a lot of people in, in England to understand what was happening in America. Without them, 
it was very difficult to think, okay, well, this is stuff that's like happy, but it's also quite weird. And that was a good thing. You know, that was a good thing for us, you know? And, and once we understood that, then, you know, everybody, why wouldn't you like it? They opened a lot of doors, I think, worldwide. It's not just in America, you know, they opened a lot of doors for sure. Absolutely. I, I don't know, were, excuse me, guys, were the bees really popular overseas? I don't know if they were. Certainly everyone knows they were hugely and still are here, but were they big overseas? In, in England? I mean, you know, pretty big in England, I remember, you know, everybody, everybody I knew that liked music, liked them, you know, and they could relate. Yeah. So, yeah, it's always very difficult to tell because sometimes as we get older and stuff, you don't really remember what <laughs> what was going on. But it's like, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I kind of do. I remember that. I remember people like the B-52s for sure. Absolutely. Such an important band, but so yeah. many bands to to nominate. There will be too many. For yeah. just the classic 2023, we'll have to expand it. But what is your? I have a feeling I might know what one of them is, but well, you I don't take the floor now. I don't agree, really. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think the Banshee should get in for a start. I had a feeling for people. I mentioned your podcast, Curious Creatures. Yeah, right. You do that with Budgie yes. from uh, Susie and the Banshees and other bands, obviously, play on the name Curious and Creatures. Right, right. Yeah. So I want to hear your thoughts, but before I forget why I say this, Last year, I followed the Rock Hall on Instagram and the official Instagram handle for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they posted a picture of Susie and there was a little bio about, you know, how influential she was. I think it was her birthday or something. That was why they were doing it. And underneath it had this bio. And then they said something like, oh, and she's influenced so many Rock Hall of Fame inductees like so and so and so and so ties to 2019 people, the cure or whatever. And every comment was like, well, then why aren't they in? Why haven't you nominated? Why are you putting this up on your official Instagram (laughs) and making this great case for them? But I want you, I I mean, I'm already sold, but what's your case for them? Well, you know, it's all of the above. I mean, I can't think of, to me, you know, Susie's like this sort of proto-feminist goth icon you know that's she made it possible for so many women to change things because you got to remember like back in the late 70s a lot of rock in inverted commas was a lot more misogynistic and it was not really you know if you were a girl to be a singer it was very difficult but she was tough and she made it easier for women to be in especially in england i know that because I saw it firsthand, you know, on tour and stuff with her. I, I saw how she made it better, you know, and it's just the right thing to happen. Earlier this year, I went to the Hall of Fame, you know, and I had a look around. We did our podcast actually from there um, with Greg Harris, you know, and I had a few words with Greg about like, hey, you know, this is who needs to be in here. He's a very uh, open kind of guy. And I think they get it. You know, it's, it takes a long time to break up barriers and take them down and it, it took a long, long time for the Hall of Fame, but I think they got it there now. Well, I mean, talk about breaking into a boys club. Susie was breaking into the punk rock boys club. And, yes. you know, she I would love it for her to get inducted just because you know I'd love to see her perform. But I mean, God, she was so hugely influential, not just on so many artists, but I mean, fashion wise. I'm sorry, as a teenage goth, there wasn't the reason my eyebrows had to be microbladed back on is because I shaved my eyebrows so much in the <laughs> 80s trying to do the Susie brow. I didn't know you were able to block your brows with with glue at the time. I've told that right. anecdote before. Um, but yes, I had Susie on my list as well. I have a lot, but I'm you know, I don't want to hog it. I will say very quickly, two people who've been nominated multiple times and have, were nominated actually this year, 2022 and didn't get in. 
word Devo. Yeah. He's been nominated, I think, three times, at least twice. And Kate Bush. I said before on the Totally 80s Kate Bush podcast that people can listen to that I feel that if the whole running up that hill, Stranger Things phenomenon had happened just a few weeks or months earlier, yeah. she probably would have gotten the votes to get in. And I think it will absolutely happen for her. I would be very actually, I would be surprised if she's not on the ballot and inducted next year. Devo, I don't understand. They're from Ohio, where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is. Such yeah. an influential band in terms of video, in terms of their political views, their costuming, and there's no other band like them. So I just yeah. want to quickly say they've appeared on the ballot more than once and it needs to happen. But someone who's never been on the ballot before. Now, I think this qualifies as an 80s band, even though they did form in the 70s. They seeped into the 80s. They're in my top three or four bands of all time. The Buzzcocks. Yeah. I think they count. I think they count. Now, yeah. the Buzzcocks, besides the fact that Pete Shelley was a queer icon and one of the greatest lyricists of all time, whenever I go through a breakup, I reach for my Buzzcocks records every time. And obviously he had a whole career doing New Wave with Telephone and Homo Sapien. But I really believe one criteria I have, I know that not everyone, I know that probably commercial success means a lot to the people in the hall, which is why a band like Roxy Music, who were so influential, took a long right. time to get in and the list goes on. I do believe in chronology and I do believe in influence. Now, I like Green Day a lot. Okay. Green, yeah. I'm not dissing Green Day at all. Green Day are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and that's great. I think even Billy Joe Armstrong would say out loud that Green Day wouldn't exist without the Buzzcocks, and the Buzzcocks should be in. I think every band that's kind of under the punk pop or yeah. like emo adjacent banner, Blink 182, Avril Lavigne, everyone owes a debt to the Buzzcocks. It makes me so oh. mad that they're not in and that Pete Shelley is no longer with us. But it sounds like you're all agreeing. So this is this isn't yeah. really a debate, is it? We're all like, yeah. Uh, it's not, it's not a debate. I mean, I think about Buzzcocks and I was, me and Budgie had a chat about this the other day. John Maher, the drummer, was like instrumental for both me and Budgie in trying to start something. Buzzcocks were instrumental in the bands trying to start something because we we went to see him. I can remember standing in the Lyceum in London, just like moshing or whatever, doing, you know, pogoing, pogoing back then. And it was just great. But the best thing about Buzzcocks was not only was the music good, but the lyrics and the vulnerability that came from those lyrics was something we hadn't experienced before. So it reflected mm -hmm. truly how we felt. You know, as mm -hmm. people. So they were really great. So yeah, no, Buzzcocks definitely. And your others, Kate Bush, I was gonna think about that. Yes, definitely. And Devo, I voted for Devo last time they were on. So why didn't they get I in? did too? Yeah, I did too. too. This... I voted for them as well. Yay. <laughs> this was the first year I was actually able to vote, and I did totally vote for Duran Duran. That was the one no-brainer for me. And then yeah. I had to kind of agonize because it was a you know, there were a lot of 80s artists or artists in general, you know, New York dolls or whatever that MC5 that were on that ballot. But Gina, I see you getting excited about Buzzcock. So I want to hear your thoughts of that and then get your next nominee. It's like uh if we were all in the same room together, we'd be hugging because <laughs> I, I agree with you guys more. Like you took, first of all, I was gonna say Devo. And Susie and the Banshees were someone else I was going to say because those bands were so big in my world. And I still put them on. I still listen. I, I Look, I keep going because I have all my records and all my CDs here. And I was like, look at my pure stuff. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Wow. Hello. 
Am I a fan or am I a fan? I love fucking the cure. Love, love, love. (laughs) And love, I pull out all my bus cocks up, but I keep walking away trying to find them because I got a million CDs up here, but uh, and and LPs. But wow, I have an interesting story about the bus cocks. I think it was 79 going into 80. And Jane and I, we were living together in our apartment on Hollywood Boulevard. We didn't have much money. And we went to see the Buzzcocks play. I think they played New Year's Eve at the Whiskey. Wow. And while, and we met them and hung out. And while, or it might have been 80 going into 81 or 79 going into 80. It probably be 80 into it, whatever. We loved the Buzzcocks, of course. Jane and I were huge fans. And the rest of the band, we all loved and the Susie and the Banshees. We went to see them when we got done hanging out with the band, went back to our apartment. I went to put my key in the door and it just opened. We'd been fucking robbed on New Year's Eve. See the bus box. Oh, no. I'll never forget that. I'll never I hope it was at least somewhat worth it. At least you had a good time. Yeah, you bet. Well, you guys, you beat me to the punch, really, here. Lyrically, incredible stuff. Just smart interesting the music was exciting it was right where it should have been at that time and they just they kept everything moving forward how incredible it's not like 10 people in the band and and they sound so big i remember seeing and seeing them live i saw them several times and watching pete shelley on stage a dynamo like exploding all the time yeah i get excited i don't even know what to say because you guys i love the Buzzcocks. Mm-hmm. I love Susie and the Veggies so much. Both yeah, bands. Buzzcocks were still great just before Pete passed away because mm-hmm. I, I saw them here in the Club Nokia, you know, and it's not, not quite too. the same band, but it was it was great. How lucky were you to see him? I mean, I know he, he passed away when they were on tour in like, where were they, in Poland or some weird place? Yeah. I don't know. That was so shocking to me. It was very, very shocking because it was just, just didn't expect it, you know? I was devastated. It was up there with David Bowie's death for me. Pete Shelley is an absolute icon for me. And I do feel, yeah, I would love to see. It's a long shot. Some of the nominees we might say, I think Devo K. Bush, Susie, I feel like B-52s, I think, have a good chance. Buzzcocks is a little bit of a long shot, but you, you never know. There are a couple other punk bands I want to bring up. I mean, if we're talking about bands that along the lines of the Buzzcocks that weren't necessarily commercially huge, in America, at least, but influenced so many bands is Gang of Four. If Gang of Four could patent their sound or copyright a vibe, they the Rapture, Franz Ferdinand, the Future Heads, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, the Claxons would all owe them so many royalties. And Andy Gill, another person who's no longer with us, he produced right. like the first mm-hmm. album by inductees, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and just so much influence. They have an, a category now called the influencer category. It's the category that Kraftwerk finally got in on. They just need to start putting all these people there because maybe that could, I mean, I assume you guys agree with the Gang of Four's influence. Yeah. Yeah. The Gang of Four, for sure. I mean, you know, Hugo, great drummer. Gina, all drummers are friends, right? So, you know, I can, I look at a band first and I look at their drummer and I think, you know, am I going to like him? Yeah, I'm going to like him. So the whole thing, the whole approach, I can remember I was at college when they came out and I can remember dancing, you know, to the Gang of Four and, it was different. It was different and it and it helped us, you know. So yeah, gang of four definitely. I mean, there's somebody else that I was thinking of. I don't I don't New Order are not in it yet, right? 
No, and neither is Joy Division. Joy Division have right. been nominated before. They were most definitely on my list. I just saw New Order play a couple of um, nights oh, ago. Oh, how is that show? Was it the Pet Shop Boys? It was great. And since we're mentioning the Pet Shop Boys, let's put them in too. My God, so many hits. But which, but night, Joy- which night were you there? Because I would say a Saturday. So was I. I'm sorry I didn't see you there. I but it they was- were really, really good. It was a great, great show. And the music all sound current. But to go back to I, I think New Order obviously yeah. deserve it on their own merits. They were actually the more successful band in terms sure. of reach. But I mean, if we're talking again about going back to influence, I'd love to get your guys thoughts on a past nominee, but passed over is Joy Division. I mean, talk right. about an influential band. I mean, it, the T-shirts alone, they are they should be in the T-shirt Hall of Fame. Their reach is actually probably bigger now than it was when they were very briefly around. Yeah, I mean, yeah, iconic is the word that comes to mind, you know, and that whole thing, you're like, you're right, with the design and everything, it's all iconic. I mean, I only think of things that need to be, things that need to be celebrated if they're still worth celebrating. And so I go back to like Saturday and I saw New Order play and that's the best time I've ever seen them play. And I've seen them play a few times, that, but it was amazing because it was like, it was loose, but it was it was loving. Didn't you feel that? It was very loving, like like the whole audience. It was like, like mm-hmm. I've never heard Blue Monday as a sing-along, which was kind of very strange because <laughs> I remember dancing to that into the Camden Palace about, you know, mm-hmm. a million years ago. And it was like a whole different vibe. But no, I mean, that's that's to me, that's that's the reason to be in Hall of Fame. I'm sure, like, you know, the powers that be beforehand would go, oh, the Mascara bands, they're not in there because they're only new and who knows if they're going to last. Well, we're 40 years later, people, you know? I was mentioning comeback stories because, like, we had an episode of Totally 80s about comebacks and I mentioned the B-52s were in. New Order, another thing, rising for absolutely from the ashes, from tragedy, yeah. you know, losing such an iconic singer just when they were at the brink of going on tour of the U.S. and having... Right. the success and then they literally waited a weekend before they started new order and got back to work and became even more successful with a different sound that was not yeah. exactly like joy division too so i would put both bands in there i mean if i'm talking about chronology let's put in joy division first yeah. and then you know the next year we do new order but gina i'm i know you have a you're sitting next to literally a, a, a shelf a wall of CDs, you've been like looking at CDs and LPs the whole time we've been taping this. What well, is I your next? Because I keep, the, I'm, I'm just like, oh my god, who has, who is nominated, who hasn't been nominated? I'm going crazy because <laughs> I, you know, there's just there's so many people that are worthy uh, yeah. of being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that it's difficult to make decisions. I'm curious to ask you about one that's on my list because we talked about the whiskey and you're from the LA punk scene, which I think unfortunately, you know, doesn't get a lot of attention as much as the New York or British punk scenes. I was really happy for the class of 2021, the class you got in, the fact that the Foo Fighters got in with Pat Smear and the go goes oh. in, obviously, with Belinda Carlisle. I was like, oh, that represents the germ. So that's cool. Right. But I want to ask you about, I think, the L.A. band that like kind of is the leading light of the L.A. punk first wave punk scene. How do you feel X. about X? X. X. You, yeah, you took the letter out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they to me at that time. And still, I, I love X. I loved X and the weirdos. I thought the weirdos were fucking phenomenal. Great songs. Do you guys know them? Mm-hmm. Lindsay, of course. Yeah. I do. I know the word. I'm from L.A. So, yeah, although I'm oh. much more familiar with X. And of course, I think that the general public would be. But as yeah. someone who grew up in L.A., I have a very distorted idea of how 
big X were nationally. Yeah, because- I mean, they, yeah, I always felt like they were bigger than they actually were because yeah. they were so big in L.A. Like they were the premier L.A. punk band. It was like you didn't get I mean, like I remember when we would get and we were all everybody in the scene, hung, as you know, all we all hung out with each other and would run from club to club and see our friends playing. And I just remember how excited we were when we actually got to open for X because we loved them. We were just sort of in awe of, of all of them, you know, mm-hmm. and the way Billy played and the way DJ played and Exine and the way she looked. And then of course, John, fucking amazing, handsome and, you know, great lyrics. And they all played so well. And they still, still play well. They still are great, you know? They released a record at the top of 2020 that was one of the best albums of the Alphabet Land, one of the best albums of that year. It was on a lot of critics' list. Dropped it out of nowhere in the middle of the pandemic, like Beyonce with this surprise release. And they hadn't made a record with that lineup in, I think, 20-something years, 25 years, and it sounded great. I just wonder why they never got huge. They were one of the first bands that, like, the group of us in L.A. were a part of that got a deal. They got a deal on Slash Records. And we were like, oh, God, if Slash would just give us a deal, you know, because everybody was trying to get a record deal. Uh, mm-hmm. with independence, there were plenty of independents back then. I'll never really understand why they weren't hugely successful. I mean, they had moments, you know, they were in like some weird beer commercial and, you know, they had moments. But yeah, it never again, as I just saw them out here in L.A. Great and they were playing writing. the YouTube theater. Great songwriting Great and definitely songwriting. Definitely crossed over from punk. This, John Doe yeah. was co-authored or co-curated two books on LA punk, More Fun, The New World, and Under the Big Black Sun. And the second one is More Fun, The New World, which is more about how in the later, in the 80s, coming out of the 70s, in the 80s, the LA punk scene diversified. It had a lot of cow punk and like roots music influences and Los Lobos and like Lone Justice. And it wasn't just like a, the way that- the blasters. Blast, absolutely, the blasters. And X were at the forefront of that, you know, and they did that with the knitters as well. So, I, yeah, I agree with you. I And again, this is a, a long shot. I, have, I feel bad saying this, but I went to see X for their 40th anniversary show last year at the Greek Theater. And I was standing next to someone who at the end of the show just turned to me and said, why aren't they in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? We got, it was someone in the industry, we got to get them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I turned to him and said, like, it's probably not going to happen because it's such an L.A. phenomenon. They can play the Greek Theater in L.A., which is like a 5,000 seat venue. But I'd love to see it happen. Um, I'd like to go back to the other side of the pond, though, for a second, Lowell, to get your take on a band that I think has a rivalry with The Cure, you can kind of, uh, or beef with The Cure, even you can set the record straight, but definitely has been on the ballot a couple of times. And that's problematic lead singer aside, The Smiths. Right. How do you feel? About, I, because I, I have my issues with Morrissey, as, as many people do, but I do yeah. think, and I don't even know if they got inducted, if I'd want to see them reunite, if that was even a possibility, mm. which is a remote yeah. possibility. But in terms of the influence, especially when you were talking about Pete Shelley's lyrics, Right. And Robert Smith's yeah. lyrics, you know, about the emotional side of things. I mean, yeah. that's why people still love Morrissey and kind of give him a pass, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think Morrissey owes a lot to previous people like Pete Shelley, actually, you know, because it wouldn't have happened without Pete. You know, I've, I have time for the Smiths, you know, because I like Mr. Marr. He's very good and stuff. And Mike Joyce, Nanny Rook. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Morrissey. It's more. It's it's not so much who he is because you know I actually saw him play this year in Pasadena. Being a drummer, all my friends play in all these guys' bands. One of my good friends, Brendan Buckley, he plays for Morrissey, right? So I want to come and see 
him play more than a but the, show, <laughs> the, the show was good and most i think that was at the sorry to interrupt but that was at the cruel world festival where yes. like a lot of the bands that yeah. i'd like to see in like the church and i mean the list goes on the psychedelic furs all these great yeah. 80s bands played there. it was a wonderful day yeah no it was it was it was really good and uh, then i went to the other one the one that stole our uh, our song title for the title of the festival. Um, just like heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I went, I went to, to the I just like heaven. Festival. I went to collect my royalties for that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Morris, yeah, I have intellectual disagreements with obviously, and like the show they put on. I always remember years ago when the Smiths split up, we used to rehearse in the same place, right? Mm. And so every band has a lockup, you know, with their gear in. And they had this band, the Polecats, and I loved Rockabilly, right? You know, with- Oh, all... I loved the Polecats, yeah, Make a Circuit yeah, with right. me. And that's his band. That's his- Oh, band. wow. He just took the whole Polecats, Baz Bora and everybody, and that's his band. So I like the band very much, you know, I think they're freaking great. But Morris have some intellectual things with. Also, his book, his memoir, the beginning I loved because it got beautiful descriptions of Manchester and stuff and growing up there. And then somebody, I heard a rumor, I don't know if it's true, but he didn't have an editor for his book, didn't want an editor, wasn't going to have one. I believe that, that book. And it kind of shows because there's that bit later on where he has the court case and it's like a hundred pages of him saying how much he hates the judge. And by the way, did I tell you how much I hate the judge? And the, mm-hmm. oh, you know, and that's kind of boring to me. So it's like, you know, you need a name. Well, yeah. Spence, we're talking about the Cruel World Festival, which had all of these, you know, yeah. great 80s, new wave, post-punk, goth bands or whatever, headlining that night. Yes. Uh, I wasn't there for Morrissey. I was there for Bauhaus. Yeah, Bauhaus was great. And yeah, I want to get your take on Bauhaus because I know that The Cure, or at least Robert, does kind of bristle at the word goth and doesn't like to be have the cure categorized as goth but i think we can yeah. safely call bauhaus the goth fathers if it's not the cure yeah because- absolutely that particular thing that you just brought up i disseminate in my new book by the way so i'm you know that's that's part of the thing and i've been writing a lot about it so it's right at the forefront right but yeah you know the thing i liked about seeing bauhaus there i thought to myself and that you know and i know Kevin and David, you know, and I know Kevin really well. So it's like, like I say, you know, all drummers are friends, right? So I, I know Kevin very well. Yeah, you've done stuff with him. Yes, including- right, exactly. And we're still, we're pals, you know? So what I really liked about it, you know, every Bauhaus show is like, you know, black and white and lots of shadows, right? The yeah, best, I said this on the Halloween podcast that yeah. is already up for Totally 80s, but the best Coachella moment ever was when, they opened with Bella Lugosi's dead and Peter Murphy descended from the rafters upside down yeah. Yeah, yeah. like a bat. Yeah. Best thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was, it was pretty Sorry, cool. Beyonce. That was the Coachella performance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like, the, I like the, the, the festival thing that they did in, in Pasadena this year, because what they had done, what they had managed to do. And I, and I know that Kevin was responsible for this. They'd gone from like, you know, a presentation where it's black and white and shadows and stuff like that and actually made it work for a festival crowd, you know, expanded it enough without it being overblown. It it looked just right. And I loved Pete's face right in the middle of the camera. It looked just like an old Nosferatu. It looks like Nosferatu, the whole movie, you know? I mean, he he may look different now, but he is one of the most iconic faces ever. True story. I mean, we all know his profile was in those Maxell ads where it's like, you know, the wind's blowing back. I mean, just what a performer. And I mean, Daniel Ash, what a guitarist. I mean, seeing them at Cruel World and at their various incarnations of reuniting in 1998 and 2005-ish, 
recently. They still got it. I mean, one of the greatest live bands you'll see, everyone walked away. Actually, everyone walked away from the Crow World Festival. It seemed the consensus, the two best bands of that day were Devo and Bauhaus. Yeah, Devo were pretty game good as well. The thing I like about Devo is they're still wearing those uh, those paper suits, you know. They're older, like we all are now, but they're still wearing the paper suits. (laughs) The other thing, you know, when you're talking about Bauhaus is that it's something that can still come across in a great way. And you talked about the Max Sell advert, right? Back in the 80s, my roommate in my, well, I lived in London, looked just like the guy in the Max Sell advert. And every, wherever we go, everybody thought he was Peter Murphy. So it was kind of funny. You know? That's flattering. Well back-, <laughs> yeah. well, back to you, Gina. You were about to say something. Oh, yes. No, I, I wasn't, you know, I wish I could have gone to that show because I was, those are the two bands I would be interested in seeing. And what I wanted to ask is, was is Daniel Ashen Bauhaus now when they play? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And let's nominate, let's induct Love and Rockets at some point. Because oh, I was, yeah, yeah. I have I'm told this. Love and Rockets fan. I, me too. I think I almost like them more than Bauhaus. I'm sorry, but I, good. I really, Love and Rockets were very big, very large in my life for quite a while. I love the songwriting and the great, great melodies. The guitar work is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so talented. What a talented bunch of people coming out of Bauhaus, you know? And I've told this story before. I think I may have even told you, little once, but in 1989, which was a great year for alternative music, The Cure's love song was at either number two or three on the Billboard charts, I think right under Whitney Houston. And then at the other one at number two or three was So Alive by Love and Rockets. Wow. Right there in the pop charts with all the other stuff going yeah. on in 1989. I remember feeling like we've won. College yeah. rock is one. Post-punk is one, you yeah. know, so Love and Rock has definitely had a lot of success. But obviously the 80s were a very diverse decade. So I want to shift gears for a moment because we've been talking okay. about the boys club. Okay. Now, I just want to preface this by saying there's a lot of people out, you know, rock purists who don't like the fact that hip hop artists, that rappers are in the Rock and Roll oh. Hall of Fame. They take the term rock and roll very literally and they get mad that Public Enemy's in or NWA's in or that Tupac is in. But you know what? Tough. Those people are in. Run DMC is in. We're not closing the door on hip hop. The term rock and roll is in a broad sense when we're referring to the hall. So if those people are in, it's time for some ladies. Salt and Peppa need to get in the hall. (laughs) Just NMC light while we're at it. Maybe Queen Latifah. But how do you feel about that, Gina? Salt and Pepper were fan, another fantastic band. Those two girls kill me, man. Their lyrics and the, the videos were just, <laughs> they were outrageous and great. And the jackets would look so good in an exhibit, those eight ball jackets. Wow. But honestly, they were very feminists. You know, they yes. embra- They were very sex positive. Let's talk about sex, shoot, yeah. you know, ain't none of your business was about slut shaming. They had they remade let's talk about sex as let's talk about aids at a time when a lot of people weren't talking about aids and they were like straight women who were doing a song about that that peter jennings suggested i think they were really important i enjoyed their lifetime movie that came out a year or so ago and i feel i guess maybe now that they're kind of more on the oldie circuit i think people kind of forget how huge they were how many hits they had how influential they were style wise but i'm just saying if they're gonna have the boys club of hip hop get in the hall. It's time for salt and pepper. And like I said, some other of the other femcs to get in. So I'm right. nominating them. I'm glad that you just reminded me of some, because I, I like, I, I just remembered that they did have it. They actually had quite a few hits. Lots. And, oh my gosh. They were really big for quite a while. 
And yeah, what's going on? And their outfits, <laughs> another thing in fashion. The, the haircuts, the earrings, the yeah. bike shorts. The earrings, it's all back. They were fantastic. So yeah, I agree 100%. Where are they? What's going Let's on Let's make them? it happen, hopefully. Some people thing, who vote. Um, one thing I really agree with you about is like, you know, this sort of, you know, this idea that only people that are traditionally rock and roll can be in the Hall of Fame. To me, to me completely, it's like this whole music since, you know, the start of the Second World War, as it's changed and things have changed and people have changed, anybody, anybody that made the change is important to me, you know, mm-hmm. and it's important to do it. That's why I voted for all different guys. I voted a whole bunch of people nobody ever thinks I'm going to vote for because I realised that. It's like, hey, did you change something? Yeah, you changed something, so there you get my vote. I 100% agree, and that's why, you know, a band that started in the 70s but was big in the 80s, a lot of people resisted putting Kiss in for a long time. And I can understand the arguments against Kiss, but I was like, how many kids picked up guitars when they were, you know, in their bedrooms because they loved these comic book cartoon characters come to life that were Kiss. Every dude who's in a band in the 90s and the aughts will say, oh, I my first song I played was a Kiss song or like the way I got it. My first concert was a Kiss thing. So I think that is really important. And that's why I'm going to bring up something. It's kind of related to MTV. It's kind of an outlier because this band did not form in the 80s. They formed in the 60s. And I feel the 60s that I've been told actually by insiders at the hall that the door is kind of closed on bands of the 60s. If you were a band of the 60s and you're not in yet, you're not going to get in. I believe the last 60s band is probably the zombies who were inducted the same year the Cure were. That being said, and of course we do need to move on. I mean, we're focused on bands of the 80s getting their due. But a band that had a whole, speaking of comebacks, in the 80s because of MTV was the Monkees. The Monkees was the first <laughs> band I ever liked because of reruns of the TV show. And they had a really stellar album a few years ago, like five years ago, called Good Times, mm-hmm. in which people like Rivers Cuomo, Noel Gallagher, Paul Weller of The Jam, by the way, The Jam wow. should be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, The Jam. Wow. Andy Partridge of XTC, another band that should be oh, in the Hall of Fame. But all these, you know, great songwriters, people like that. All right. And Adam Schlesinger, who has been on the podcast before, the early MTV podcast, actually. And we talked about The Monkees. Uh, rest in peace, Adam. Right. The Monkees had this whole second act in the 80s because of MTV when they played this marathon that was right. so successful. The Monkees reunited. They toured. They were an entity ever since. Like I said, a few years ago, they put out a great album, Good Times. And they were a really big band in the 80s. They were the first concert my sister went to see. And it makes me mad that there's only one left now. Mike Nesmith recently died just after they completed their Fair War tour. There's only a monkey. There's only one left. The time for it to happen would have been when Good Times came out, which was not only when three of them were still alive to accept, but also the fact that they were kind of riding high on this new wave of critical acclaim with this comeback record. But Mike Nesmith was so important to MTV as well. He was on the ground floor of MTV. So even though I'm sort of, I'm kind of going off on a, you know, I'm kind of going back 20 years. I feel they were such an important band to different audiences from the 60s to the 70s and the 80s. And they were a band that a lot of kids probably were, like myself, were introduced to the concept of a band. And I think they were very influential on MTV and the whole idea of music video. So I just want to get it in. I hope it's not too late for them to kind of get in in some way. Makes you know, Lindsay, I think of when I was a kid and I looked forward to seeing the monkeys every week. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. I, I think they came on the weekends or something, but, and now I watch, like, I, I swear to God, I'll find like a, like me TV or channels like that will play the monkeys. And, and mm-hmm. I love those shows. They make me feel good. They're full of great songs. Those guys, they made the right choice when they picked those four guys, you know, lightning in a bottle. We've had the new monkeys on this podcast because really? as wow. The New Monkeys were a band, I want to say, in 1986, 1987, riding high on this wave of the monkeys coming back because of the MTV marathon and their reunion. They tried to make lightning happen in another bottle. They tried to make lightning strike twice in a bottle and create a band called The New Monkeys. And it was an interesting experiment that failed. The guys have a good, you know, attitude about it. And they did a whole interview for us on Totally 80s. But yeah, you're right, Gina, like that casting, that was a once in a lifetime thing. And the writers that were writing the songs, I mean, were, you know, top of the line producers and, and songwriters. And it was just put together beautifully. It all worked, except when the guys in the band want to start writing their own stuff, which you know is going to happen. because they But were it was good. It was actually good because they yeah. were, especially Torque and Nesmith were actually yes. real musicians. But it yeah. goes back to all this snobbery that I'm talking about, the same snobbery that made Kraftwerk have to wait six nominations to get in or whatever, these bands that are synthesizer driven or whatever, not being taken seriously by the hall. I think the hall didn't take the monkey seriously because of the fact that they were a prefab band that they originally started as a TV band. I do think as Lil said, influence how many people start a band because of the monkeys is something to consider. So I hope it's not too late for them, but while we're on the subject snobs be damned, I have another nomination do you know who opened for the monkeys on their 1987 tour weird al yankovic and let's face it weird al has actually kind of he's actually outlasted a lot of people who are in the hall in terms of career longevity and his career is bigger than ever so let's just put it out there weird al yankovic for the class of 2023 uh but since this is running long it's not too late to get in a few more of your nominees i mean we all came to this podcast with a long list so please feel free to keep going i didn't bring a list (laughs) (laughs) well you're sitting next to a shelf of uh, your list is your shelf of records and cds next to you nobody will care what i have to say i care i care we all care can i just say one other thing is that when i was growing up and still to this day i was always hugely influenced by the british bands i just remember going to my record store and i would buy anything that was an import from england i mean i just anything british music always moved me for some reason much more than whatever was happening in the states so i don't know what that means or what for what what it's worth i want to piggyback onto what you said about the british bands because i do think that was something that for a long time hurt bands like The Cure or Depeche Mode or Roxy Music for that matter, or even T-Rex, the fact that it took Mark Bowen so long because they were largely, yeah, it's ridiculous, stupid, but it's because they were British phenomenon. So now that it seems that British bands, because there's a changing of the guard at the hall and just a changing of votership, like we've mentioned the Smiths, we've mentioned Bauhaus, we've mentioned New Order and Joy Division, but what are some other ones from that kind of post-punk 80s era that deserve their due. I'm butting in because now I'm thinking my, I'm going way off track here. Did you guys ever like that band Japan? Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Because Japan. I saw their last music. show in London. I saw their last show in London. And okay. I oh my saw God. the record and I was like, fuck, they were incredible. What? If you're talking about influence, I mean, Duran Duran definitely took a yeah, lot. Yeah, there you Japan. go. How about and they that, would, right? they would admit that. They would admit that. And it's very obvious. Mick Karn, amazing 
you know, oh. rest in peace, amazing bass. I'm so glad you brought them up because I didn't think to, but yeah, and what everything David Sylvian's done right. since as a composer. Oh my God. Oh uh, yeah. That, that he played bass, Mick played bass, right? And he, yeah. he would, the way he would go around that stage like he was on some sort of a dolly or something being moved around the stage. Yeah. He, very strange uh, stage presence, but they were so interesting live. And David Sylvian's, his voice sounded beautiful live. Sounded just like the record. Do you know what wow. I mean? Like I'm so jealous. I'll never forget that. That I wow. saw their last show. I was, uh, and nobody in my band knew who the fuck they were. They didn't. And I was like, <laughs> whatever, you guys, you don't, you don't get it. So here's an interesting little known fact. When the cure was starting and we decided, hey, we'll we'll try and get out there in the big bad world. We entered this competition for, you know, to get a record contract with Ariola Hansa Records, right? And, you know, a lot of bands entered. Only two bands got signed from it. One was us and the other one was Japan. No way. Ah! Yep. Yep. No way. What? That's better track record than American Idol or anything. That's a contest <laughs> I can get behind. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. What great company you've been looking and yeah. both of you. I I hundred I'm a very, very big Japan fan. I'm even a fan of like kind of more the stuff that I think David Sylvian disavows, like from their very early era, like the glam rock stuff, like adolescent sex and stuff. I he was singing very differently then. Yeah. And I love all that stuff. But that actually makes me think of not a British band, but hear me out. I know this. I, I guess I've been nominated a lot of things that are kind of like more influential as opposed to commercially successful. But if you grew up in Los Angeles, this band meant a lot on the Sunset Strip, my Sunset Strip. There's actually an article in the LA Weekly that says a Finnish band influenced every band on the Sunset Strip. And it's Hammer Rocks. I know you're going to say. Hammer Rocks, yeah. Yeah. Love them. One of my favorite bands ever. Michael Monroe still doing it. Hannah Rocks with the uh, original lineup, not with Razzle, obviously, because he he died, but with Jip Casino drumming. They just recently reunited, did like a nine song set at Michael Monroe's 60th birthday show. That's a show I would have wanted to be at. But that I heard heard about that, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I almost got on a plane to Finland when I found out that was happening. I'm like, Helsinki, here (laughs) I come. I know that they didn't. Again, much like X, it's a band that I may have a distorted idea of how popular or important they were because of la my la upbringing but guns and roses motley Crue, poison every whether you like those bands or not all of those la sunset strip metal bands owed a debt stylistically to hunter rocks but they were super glammy and trashy i mean of course i'd like the new york dolls to get in first they're not a band from the 80s they're from the 70s obviously and i they've been nominated multiple times i voted for them this year but i really do think hunter rocks were so important and I know it's never going to happen. The Buscocks have a better chance in High Rock. I know it's never going to happen. I'm just going to put it out there in case someone is listening who could nominate well, I them. Think, think I love the them. Times, a lot of the times, the bands that you're naming are they are like the, the bridge, what I would call the bridge bands. So the bridge from one particular kind of genre to the next and introduce it. Because, for instance, you know, people wouldn't think that I liked Guns N' Roses, but I kind of do, right? And yeah. Bam. Duff is a good pal, and it's like I understand where they come from and who they were and how they made that crossover from like the big hair bands and then, but it's punk as well. You know, there's something going on yeah, there. Yeah, hundred percent. Different, changing things. You know, but we why. should actually we should actually talk about metal for a minute because even though it's yeah. called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, very few straight up metal bands are yeah. in. Uh, Judas Priest are getting in this year. Yeah, uh, which is great, but they're getting in under the early influencer category, which I think is kind of odd. Um, yeah. Really? 
That's I'm kind of glad they're on in any way. But, you know, yeah. Iron Maiden have been nominated multiple times and not gotten in. There's very few like metal bands. If there's any genre of the 80s that's more critically maligned than the new wave stuff. It's the mm-hmm. metal stuff. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. advocating that Poison should get in the Rock and Hall of Fame, but I'm not advocating that they shouldn't. I think Motley Crue, actually, uh, Motley whether you Crue, like them or not, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Tommy. Tommy's a wonderful man, so I, I I would like for him personally to be walking down there with you know, the statue. Yeah, and that's LA as well. I mean, yeah, and it's a drummer and all that. But what about Eugene? Uh, it doesn't have to be metal, but I want to make yeah, sure we we have so much ground to cover. Talking about Motley Crue, I just saw them and Poison when they played up here that stadium show. They you know how they went all over. I went to see Joan Jett, my old pal yeah. Joan, and I and I stayed all day and watched everything. You know, Motley Crue were great. I'd forgotten. Yeah. Seeing them live, and they have so many hits. I'm glad yeah. that Jones in the hall. An incredible show. Yeah. I was standing on the side of the stage with my mouth hanging open, like, whoa. They're very powerful. Really yeah, powerful. Yeah, there, there were two inductees on that bill. That was like the big, the stadium tour. Joan is in the hall, which makes me happy. Yeah. Obviously, yes. she's a huge influence on bands like the Go Go's. You know, and she derives yes. from the Runaways, who I think, the, right. you know, warrant being in on their own merit. Right. And Def Leppard, who got in the same yes. uh, year as the Cure. Yeah. yeah, there's so much ground, but I'm just going to, uh, we're going to, since we're running out of time, I just, lightning round, each of us can say one or two that we need to get in. I only have one left on my list because we've covered so much ground. And I don't know if anyone would agree with me on this, but if we're talking about, you know, the same kind of argument I would make for the B-52s in terms of like a oh. queer icon, it's Culture Club and Boy George, 100%. Sure. I, mean, I, love, I love Culture Club. I was just looking at that and thinking about that. Wait, did, let me ask you a question. Did the cars ever get in? They are in, thankfully. The and they got in not that long before Rick Ocasek passed away. So oh, I'm, I think like 2017 yes. sure. or 18. But in terms of Boy George and Culture Club, I very much remember the first time I saw Boy George on MTV. They didn't even have a video yet for Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? So they were showing the top of the pops performance that they did. And I was completely dazzled and bewildered in the best possible way. I imagine the same way that people of your generation might have felt when they saw Starman on Top of the Pops by David Bowie. And just that sort of like, who is this magical creature? Man, woman, alien, all of the above. And obviously a great singer. And but I always say when I'm trying to impress on people how mainstream Culture Club got, I have a Boy George Snoopy doll, like official merch. <laughs> oh, like he was wow. big enough to have wow. his own Snoopy doll. It has like the little braids and the smock with the numbers on a little hat. Yeah. That's how big he got. And I remember when Culture Club won Best New Artist at the Grammys and he said, America, you know, a good drag queen when you see one. That was scandalous at <laughs> the time. Yeah. Boy George, he has a great voice. Great voice. All the influences of the different kind of things that were going on. Lennon, Tom Lowell, you can maybe speak yeah. to that. Yeah. I, and they're I, all still around. The band, they're still there. Oh, you know? that's, that's the thing that I wanted to say. I bumped into George because me and George, like I used to go to the Palace all the time in London back in the 80s, you know, and George was a great, great guy, you know, and we had a lot of fun, right? But he's a survivor, you know. He had mm-hmm. really some really bad times, you know. And like a couple of years ago, I met him at, in the BBC in Manchester. I was doing a thing for my book, and George was there at the same moment, you know. And we both just sort of went up and hugged each other, and we were right there back in the club days, you know, just talking about all this stuff. George is a survivor, you know. And for me, that's the best thing about him because he, he's like, you know, he could have just sort of withered away, but he was no—he's no shrinking violet, you know. He's, no, he. he 
reinvented himself over and yeah. over again, got yeah. his shit together and came back out and kept doing stuff, you know, sit around. Hundred percent, and the fact that he was as mainstream a star as he was, like I said, on right. MTV all the time, Snoopy Doll, one yeah. best new artist at the yeah. at the Grammys when yeah. he was looking the he was it wasn't just the fact that you know people assumed he was queer or gay, it was how he was dressed, you know, all of the gender. I mean, when people say gender bender when they're referring to gender benders of the eighties, they're they're talking about Boy George mainly. I mean, yes, there were others that were, but that's he was the face of that movement. So I hundred percent want to, and actually, you know, Annie Lennox, if who got in with Eurythmics, although she doesn't like the term gender bender, she was kind of the female side and how she was presenting it. So I think Culture Club are super important, obviously. And also since we're on the subject of gay eighties icons, there's two more I need to make sure I mention. And the first one is soft sell. And I know they will never get in because in the U.S., maddeningly, they are considered a quote unquote one hit wonder with a song that was a cover. But Mark Allman is so important. He's so brilliant. He's one of my favorite vocalists of all time. But the case I would make is arguably or maybe not arguably, this is what I'm arguing, is that Tainted Love was the song that kickstarted the new wave entire second British invasion in the U.S., even before Duran Duran and all those bands. It was Tainted Love and actually the Human League's Don't You Want Me Baby, I could make a case for them as well, that sort of started off that whole new way thing. So Mark Allman, gay icon, soft sell should be in there. And the other one, which actually I think this one has a really good shot, and frankly, it totally shocks me that this guy's never been even nominated, and that is George Michael. I mean, he was one of the biggest stars not just of the 80s, but one of the biggest male pop stars of all time, one of the best singers ever. He wrote his own stuff. He did things on his own terms, continually reinventing himself. He overcame a lot of adversity. He won the album of the year Grammy, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and on. So I honestly do not understand how he has never even been on the ballot at all. So I'm done with my list, but you guys each give me one before we... uh, Okay. We're going all the way into the class of 2025 at this point. Okay, I got one. I got one that that you know probably won't happen either, but you kind of should. Cocteau twins. I really, Ooh, yes. you know, because like if I listen to like Liz Fraser's voice gets everywhere and it's influenced everybody, you know, and even just like with with Robin, you know, with his style and his approach and his production, it's great. They should have something, and maybe you know, then you can extrapolate that to be you know like. Bands like the Jesus and Mary chain, they changed some stuff, you know? 100% agree with all the above. What about you, Gina? Take us home. I'm just looking at my records here and- Just uh, pull one out. Just pull one out. uh, Okay, I mean, I can pull anyone out. I just saw this and I was like, wow. The specials. Oh my God, that is an absolute perfect way to end this. The specials and Madness, who were bigger commercially, especially in America- but yeah, are there? There's no ska bands like eighty. No, no. Halloween. They they were man. I was so and we toured with them, of course. But yeah. wow, they dynamic. Play, I saw them play uh, at the Fox Theater in Oakland last year. I think they played. Yeah, I, I saw them recently too, and they still had yeah. it. Yeah, but, it was great. My God, yeah. they were so innovative and and like that. Get in right because that's that's really out of left field, but. Boy, that was part of a movement that became quite big. Oh, and- yeah, I mean, I was I'm still friends with with Horace, you know, and I saw them play here in L.A. last year. And the best show I ever saw at that time, they played the Biltson Festival, even before their first album came out. 
And it was like, I told him this, that was the best show I've ever seen in my life because it was like this happy riot. The whole place just went to <laughs> work, you know? Nothing happened bad. It wasn't like, you know, Woodstock 99. It wasn't all that crap. It was like, <laughs> it's pure love and energy, you know? And they were just dancing. It was amazing. Most amazing gig I've ever seen. That's because all the crowd, the crowd's all gotten older. <laughs> they yeah. can't be murdering each other. No, it's not. <laughs> Back in the day, you had to take your life in your own hands if you were going to, to uh, see the madness in England. Didn't the specials fans, when the Go-Go's were touring in like 1980, with specials like not necessarily yeah. uh, treat you so well? Yeah, they they hated us. They weren't interested in us. I mean, I don't blame them. We were completely different. Although, you know, I don't know. The great pop melodies, it doesn't matter what genre of music. they all, When I, the specials played, I went back and I, and I talked to Horace and I talked to Limbo and it was really awesome to see them again and the show was great and everybody was dancing and excited but oh back in the day we're talking about how violent the shows were and no they they didn't like the go-go's and i don't blame them but uh you know we got used to the bottles being thrown at us and you know belinda walking up stage with spit dripping from her and <laughs> and you know we got over coming backstage and bursting into tears then after that happened so many times we were like we got there like fuck you, we're going to play. And we would just play and dodge the beer bottles. <laughs> so it was a great experience. When we finished tour with Madness and the Specials, we got came back to the States and everything was easy from there out. <laughs> yep. And I mean, times have changed. Everybody loves the Go-Go's now. So, and that's why you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which again, I have to say is so deserved, as is the cure with you, Lowell. Congratulations to you both. And now we've nominated so many deserving yeah. people yeah. that who, if even a fraction of these people ever end up on a ballot, people will be really agonizing. I know I, we all, we're all voters will be sure. agonizing over who to vote for. But like I said, we've nominated another, a few people to go well into like the class of 2025 or 26. And I'm really, you know, I came with my own list, but hearing you guys with your expertise and your stories there, you brought up people that I kind of forgot about. And there's not a single person. It wasn't really a debate because like no. we pretty much, we can make a good case for all of them. So I want to thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. This was fun to do. And yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I should do, we should do a show and just look at the record collection and pull crap out. Just pick one anywhere. And then we have <laughs> some talk. Oh, Creedence Clearwater. I gotta, I gotta come around and look at your record collection, Gina. I, you I, bet, you baby. Me, you gotta invite me around to have a look at it. Or, yeah. Well, I live up, I live in San Francisco now. But if you come up here, so is my son. So is my son. So I, I'm up there all the time. Yeah. I will get on a plane anytime you want, and we can do a totally '80s podcast live from Gina Shock's record collection, The House of Shock. House and, of uh, San Francisco. It, 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 it's yeah. something to see. It's it's very diverse, as is my musical taste, and. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, you know, it's great. And you can pick any one of these records and it's like a photograph, like in my book, you remember everything that was happening at that moment in time for you. You Absolutely. know, that's Absolutely. what, that's the effect that music has on everybody. That's why it's so fucking powerful. Yeah. It's. And that's why all of these artists deserve to be in the hall of fame. Yes. And I actually would say that this conversation definitely belongs in the rock and roll podcast hall of fame. So thanks again. <laughs> Two of my very, very special guests, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, Gina Shock of the Go-Go's and Lil Tolhurst of The Cure. I'm Lindsay Parker. I want to thank everybody for listening. Remember to give Tolly 80s a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. And I will catch you next time, possibly from Gina's house. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. 
Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. <laughs>